The reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 17, page 77, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Amen. On Friday night, many of us had the opportunity to be in Rasharkin uh, for Geoffrey's ordination and installation uh, into the church there. Um, it was a lovely evening had my first Mars bar and fruit sandwich, which was a, a treat. Um, but in about, about maybe 17, 16, 17 minutes, he'll be preaching for the first time uh, in Rishark and, and tonight as well. Um, and that'll be the start of his time there. So I thought this morning we would pray for him in our prayers for others. So let's pray. Let's join together in prayer. Father God, we've been learning so much through the book of Exodus. And one of the things that has stood out is that little phrase that said, the Lord heard their cries when the people were oppressed. And Father, we thank you this morning that you are not a God who is far removed from the sorrows and the hurts of people. And so today, Lord, we pray for families and friends who've been affected by the plane crash and the loss of life in South America. Father, we pray, Lord, that you will draw near to them. That if there are those who are ministering your word to them, that you'll give them a word in season to bring hope, to bring comfort, and to just be with them at this time. Father, as we think of that plane crash, we also are struck by the many victims and families affected by the football abuse at this moment in time. And Lord, we thank you again that you are not a God who stands back from things like this. Father, we pray for justice. We pray for transparency. 
We pray for healing, Father, for those who've been affected by this. And we pray, Lord, for those who have done wrong to others, that, Lord, their conscience would prick them, Lord, that they would seek forgiveness and reconciliation, that they would seek justice, we pray. Father, we pray for this situation, Lord, that you will be with those who are coming forward, who have been hurt and abused, that, Lord, you will draw near to them, and they will find in you the God who heals the brokenhearted, we pray. Father, we thank you for Jeffrey. We thank you, Lord, for his time with us in Bloomfield. And Father, as he preaches his first sermon in Resharkin this morning, we pray that you will anoint him and that there will be a tangible sense of your presence with the people and him this morning as they gather. Lord, bless these early days to him. May he, Lord, be, as we were reminded on Friday night, may he be a man who constantly points them to the word of God and to Jesus. We thank you for him, undertake for him over these next few weeks and months ahead, and bless his ministry and bless that congregation as they seek to reach out uh, to those in the town and further afield. Lord, we bring all these prayers before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pray together. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you've given us the scriptures through which you speak to us. But you've also promised your Holy Spirit to be active within our minds, opening our ears and our hearts and our lives. So we pray that we might uh, open ourselves to his influence, that we might consciously listen for his voice through it, so that through your word we might be encouraged, warned, built up, sent out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know what the following have in common? Fancy Smith. Ring any bells? No? One or two? George Dixon. No? Yes? A quick show of hands. Fancy Smith. You recognize the name? Just two of us. <laughs> Last. George Dixon. Ah, there's a few more there. What about Georges Maigret? Yeah, a few more. Yeah. Or uh, John Barnaby? Yeah. What about H? Not the S Club 7 1. H ring any bells? No, not, not, not the S Club 7 1. No, no, no. No, just, just one or two. Uh, Jonathan Creek. Yeah, Perry Mason. Judge Judy. Yeah, yeah. Graham Simpson. What about Wolf J. Flywheel? No. I've got 50 points for Wolf J. Flywheel. No? Okay. Well, they're all TV lawkeepers, except Graham, who was just a pretend lawkeeper as well. Anyway, <laughs> TV lawkeepers, some police, some judges, some lawyers, some sort of unofficial police helpers. We love our TV dramas 
that are centered on the law, whether they're American or um, British, the odd French one. What's the, what's the Italian policeman who's been on recently? His name just won't come to my mind. Montalbano, the very one. I'm not the only one who doesn't get out often enough, obviously. Montalbano, that's right. We, we love our, our law keepers. Yet none of them, as you can imagine, really deal with Exodus 20. There's not a TV program that's founded on keeping Exodus 21 to 17. And that's not really surprising. And yet, curiously, all of them, I would suggest to you, relate back to Exodus 21 to 17. And what I want to do today is not to think in terms of TV police dramas or courtroom dramas. I want to ask the question, what's the point of the law? Why is it there? Okay. Or maybe to keep the, the, um, the picture going, what are those law keepers trying to do? What has gone wrong? Well, if we look at the law in the Old Testament, we find that the law is all about this. The law is all about harmony. It's all about things living together, working together, blending together in the right way. And that's how God has set up his creation. It's a creation that was meant to be harmonious, all parts of it working together. And we as human beings are meant to live together. We're meant to live harmoniously together, each supporting, encouraging the other. That's in families, within societies, and so on and so on. But we recognize that things have gone wrong. And that's what we call sin. Sin is this destruction of God's harmony. Something that ought to be beautiful, something that ought to be life-giving, is broken and becomes destructive. Recognizing that, God has decided to do something. And what we have in Exodus 21 to 17 is part of what God has decided to do, to put everything right. It's, if you like, a, a two-stage thing. Let me run quickly through both stages, because I realize it's, it's 5 to 12, but I promise to be finished, well, maybe 10 past 1, uh, <laughs> or thereabouts. <laughs> Think of the law as a gift of grace. Sometimes we oppose law and grace. We think law is this terrible thing, this harsh and unbending. But actually, when God gives the law, he gives it as his gift of grace. It's a special thing, a gift to the world. Here in Exodus 20, he has brought the people out of Egypt, and now he says, as my gift to you, here's the law. But you never thought of it like that before. Can I, can I demonstrate that for you? Let's take a look at, at some of the laws. They, if you're visiting with us, the little numbers in brackets uh, that you'll see uh, on the screens are the verse numbers that I'm referring to. The core of the law, in fact, the, the, the first couple of commandments of the law are talking about harmony between God and his people. 
giving God his proper place in our lives, making sure that we're orientated on God so that everything else can be balanced. If that stone in the middle moves to one side or other, then things fall apart. The balance is disrupted. So when God is talking to his people, he is saying, orientate everything around me and your life will be in balance. Or at least that's the start of your life being in balance. Uh, one of the courses I teach is on pastoral care. And um, as part of pastoral care, we think of Christian counsel. And one of the, the big questions is, does somebody have to become a Christian before everything is in order in their lives? Well, the ultimate answer to that actually is yes. Now, you can have intermediate orders. You can have aspects of somebody's life put right. You can have different things that were out of kilter put back in kilter. But for ultimate balance in a life, it is a life in which God has his proper place. But there's more than that. If you look at verses 4 to 6 in the second of the commandments, God says, don't worship things. Put me in the center, uh, number one. Uh, and, uh, and verse 7 as well. Get things in their proper place. I'm just about, or I've just read the first uh, few pages of a book called Stuffocation. Don't know if anybody has come across it. Stuffocation. You can see where that's coming from, can't you? You can see the two words that are put together. A combination of stuff and suffocation. And I'm only half a dozen pages in, but I'm sold on it already. Sold on it already. The amount of stuff we have in our lives is just suffocating, isn't it? Think of how much effort we put into the stuff that we have, most of which we don't actually need. Big amounts of which just actually cause us bother. God says, get the things in your life in the right place. Don't worship them. They're not worth worshipping. Whether it's something you drive, something you watch, something you wear, something you eat, something you put on a shelf in the corner and bow down to of an evening. No. Get stuff in its right place if you want a life that's balanced. I'm not really keen, by and large, on pictures of Jesus. They all, they're always a bit twee, but I must admit I couldn't resist this one. Because this is saying, get the rhythms of life in order for yourself. I, I, just, I just like that. It's Jesus on a Sunday. Isn't that just nice? Um, it's getting towards the sharp end of term for me at, at college. It's getting towards the, the time and term when I look around all the, the faces uh, in, in the lecture or the small number in the tutorial and I can go around and say, you're not getting enough sleep, you were in bed too late last night, you should have gone to bed earlier, and so on. You can just see it a mile away. God has built us to have harmony in the rhythms of life. It's focused on the Sabbath, but it's not only the Sabbath. He has built us as creatures who are to work, yes, but who are also to rest 
And I wonder if in spirit we break this particular commandment because of our work patterns. Now I know for most of us work patterns are enforced upon us rather than something that we have much of a choice in. But this is these Ten Commandments. These are our commandments for society as a whole. And as we think of our influence in society, is one of the things that we ought to be saying to our community. Calm down. Work isn't all it's cracked up to be. Profit isn't the ultimate good. Consuming isn't what it's all about. A life centered on God a life where stuff has its place, a life that goes according to the rhythms of life. And then the law that God has given to us is a law that speaks against the law of the jungle. Um, The law of the jungle is very simple. The law of the jungle is this, the strong win, the weak get crushed. That's what the jungle is all about. The strong win, the weak get crushed. So the wolf preys on the lamb or the small animal. That's just the way it is. But of course it's like that in human society as well, isn't it? Whether it's one child bullying another at school, whether it's somebody getting mugged in the street or the victim of violence at a football match, It's the strong triumph, and the weak get crushed. And God gives us the law to say, no, that is not the way it ought to be. That's not how you use your physical power. What animal would you choose to be, if you could? What would be your your animal? I imagine many would go for a lion. I, I must say, I would have gone for a lion, until I realized what lions are like. I... They're dreadful creatures, absolute shockers. The, the, men, the men I'm talking about, lionesses are fine. <laughs> it's, it's lions, they're dreadful creatures. Why? Well, the last time I saw a lion in the wild, uh, he was lying just like that. And there were a couple of lionesses around him. And there was a dead lion cub just to one side. Why was the lion cub dead? His own cub. Because he had killed him. Why? Well, because he knew that that lion cub was growing up to be a threat. So generally, when cubs are born, the lioness will take them away because the father would kill them, because they're a threat. Lions are characterized by lust, greed, and laziness. Sounds dreadfully familiar, I have to say. (laughs) Because those are what characterize our society. That's the law of the jungle. The strong crush the weak at schools, in societies, between countries, in families. And God's law says that should not be so. Economically, it's the same thing as well, isn't it? It is. Did you know that if you invest, let me get my figures right, a thousand pounds with the Ulster Bank for a year in an ordinary account, uh, an ordinary interest-bearing savings account. How much, how much interest do you get? Anybody? One pound. You've been doing well. 
It's 10p, if I remember rightly. That's either 5p or 10p. I'm not going to say any more, really. <laughs> but those who are economically strong decide what happens for those who are economically weak. Anybody remember the Bhopal uh, disaster that took place 30 years ago now in India? Hundreds of people killed because of a spillage at a chemical factory because they just weren't paying attention. The economically strong crush the economically weak. It ought not to be like that. And the law of God says, no, you shall not steal. So the law is given to us to protect the vulnerable. That's why it's there. It's there to talk of the harmony of life as we center our lives on God, as we put everything in their place. The law is there to protect the, the vulnerable so that those who are weak, young, foolish are not destroyed by those who are strong and angry. Or to, to put it another way, in, in general terms, the law tells us what to do, doesn't it? And, of course, the law tells us what not to do in order that we might have good relationships. And that really sums it up. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about, essentially. Here's what to do, here's what not to do, in order to be in harmony with God, with the rest of creation, and with each other. That's what it's all about. And that's how you measure a good law in a country and a bad law in a country. Because good laws promote harmonious relationships. Bad laws destroy them. So the laws in our country, uh, are they good or are they bad? I stand before you this morning, and this is a confession. Whoops, sorry. Uh, this is a confession. I stand before you as an international criminal. Not only an international criminal, but a repeat offender. Am I the only one? I'm sure I'm not. 34 miles an hour the first time. The second one really, really narked me. It was going, it was 37 miles an hour, going up the hill towards Craig Antlet after church. <laughs> but they were right. I was wrong. And actually, when I got over the annoyance, yeah, try it. It is actually a lot easier driving within the speed limits. There's a lot less pressure. It's actually okay. It took me a long time to understand that. But the law was, was worthwhile. The law gives life and joy. When we live according to God's law, life actually becomes fuller. You find that in Deuteronomy 32. Sorry, let me just quote that for you. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Psalm 119, 
Verse 175 talks about the law sustaining and enabling us. And then the big one, Nehemiah 8, verses 9 to 12. When the wall was built, they had a celebration. They got the book of the law out. They read it. How did the people listen to that law? How did they respond? They wept. They heard this being read and they wept. And Nehemiah and the Levites have to go through and say, no, no, don't, don't weep, don't weep. Don't think of yourselves as lawbreakers. Think of this as what gives you life. This is meant to fill you with joy, not sorrow. But there's a problem, isn't there? The law is meant to do this. <laughs> Can I give you another illustration of this? Now, I want you to look at me, okay? Look at me, don't look at the screens. All right? You're looking at me, not the screens. Look at me, not the screens. Now, you're falling into three different groups. There are those of you who have broken the law and looked at the screens. There are those of you who are just dying to look at the screens, but know that I've told you not to. And there are those who are saying, what on earth is he talking about? You see, as soon as you put in a law, you can look at the screens now, by the way, if you want to. Doesn't it just make life a bit more difficult? So that Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. The very commandment which promised life proved death to me. Law came in to increase the trespass. Because law has this other effect. On the one hand, it's life-giving when we obey it as communities and individuals. It's enhancing. But we have this desperate sense that we actually aren't terribly good law keepers. We know it in our heart of hearts. We recognize it. And I'm not really thinking of the law of the land here. I'm thinking of God's law enshrined in this. We just recognize it. And there's the good news. You see, if the law makes us feel like this, the law says Christmas is coming. When the law makes us feel that we have to, to move away and, and be at a distance, Jesus says, when the law allows us to see this perfection of life and know that we're miles away from it, Jesus says, Shall we pray together? Lord our God, we thank you for the law that you have given to us, the law that you have given to us in Scripture, the law that you have put into place, many of them in our land, those that are in accordance with your words, we, we thank you for them. We also thank you for that law of yours that you've written on our hearts, in our conscience, both for how it keeps us from doing evil, but also we thank you for that conscience that disturbs us, 
so that we recognize that we are not by nature law keepers, but lawbreakers. And we thank you for Jesus, who brings us to restored harmony with you, who enables us to find harmony in our fellowship together, who directs us towards harmony with creation and promises total harmony when you make all things right in that day. For all of these things, we thank you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Gracious God, for the promise of your presence as we go from this place, we thank you. And so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.